Good morning, everybody, and a happy new year. Like Bill was saying, today's my first day for this internship, so I must warn you, because it's my first day, I didn't start prepping for this till this morning. So, no, I'm just praying. <laughs> so if it's bad, you know who to blame, me. Uh, before we get into to the text today, um, it's going to be 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11. I, wanna, I have to tell you a story. I have to tell you about the, my first experience at In-N-Out Burger. All right. How many of you have ever been to In-N-Out Burger? Any West Coast people? Yes, or people just visiting? All right. My first experience was very interesting. Um, Mark and I, we had a, when we were in college together, we had two friends that we went. Um, my friend found some cheap flights to, to the West Coast. So we flew out there, and once we got there, we got hungry. We started walking around, and then my friend says, we have to go to In-N-Out Burger. We have to. And I said, okay. And I didn't know anything about In-N-Out Burger. And if you don't either, again, like you'll understand my frustration about what happened. So In-N-Out Burger is obviously a fast food restaurant. It's a burger joint. And they're famous because they have a secret menu that apparently everyone knew about except me. So we get there, and you know, you walk into the store, you walk into the restaurant, and I'm looking up at this menu, and there's literally like three things you can order. And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, what was the, the fuss about? I don't understand why we needed to come here. And no one was ordering, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go first. And I go up, and I ordered my, my super plain burger with fries. And then my friend after me, he comes up, and he orders something crazy and exotic. It was like some wild-style, animal-style burger. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, did the desert heat get to you? I'm looking at where he sees this animal-style burger, and, and then the next person orders something crazy like that, too. And let me tell you, it, was, it wasn't a good feeling knowing that everyone knew about this secret menu except me. And while we're there eating, I'm eating this plain cheeseburger, and they have something really cool and different. But anyway, sometimes the, the moral of that story is that sometimes it's not the best thing to go first, I guess. Um, that was a, a scenario of the late mouse gets the cheese. It wasn't a early bird gets the worm. So why do I bring this up? Well, this letter that Peter wrote, the second letter, he's writing to believers because they're dealing with a heresy called Gnosticism, okay, Gnosticism. So what that means is um, it's a false theology, it's a, it's a false belief that, that everything that has that's physical, that's material, is, is sinful, is evil. So therefore, what they believed in is that when Jesus Christ came, that he didn't have a human form like flesh, because if he did, then therefore he, that would have made him not God. So what they believed was that he was here kind of in a spirit form, but not necessarily in the flesh. They also believed that there was some type of secret knowledge, some kind of hidden knowledge that, that through it, you can attain salvation. So my question to you this morning is, have you ever felt this way about God, about Christianity? Have you ever felt like your relationship with Jesus Christ is some in and out secret burger menu where you kind of feel like everyone else has figured it out. Everyone else has the knowledge of this and, and is doing well, but you somehow, you don't know this knowledge and you feel stuck, ineffective, unfruitful. And so, like Bill was saying, my hope is that this message here today will just be an encouragement, a reminder, a kind of spiritual pep talk for you as we go into the new year. You're not going to hear anything new or outstanding or crazy or anything like that. You're just going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear what Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, and so I want to ask that you guys join me in prayer as, uh, as we um, tackle this, this passage. Lord, I desperately need you right now. Lord, I need you, and I, and I pray, God, that, that the words that come out of my mouth are not mine but yours. 
I pray, Father, that you would help me get out of the way that, that we would see nothing but you and your glory and your majesty. Lord, I pray that whatever New Year's resolutions we may have had, that we would leave here today with, uh, with a new one, one that is um, based on the knowledge that, that through the gospel that you have given everything to us that we need for spiritual growth. So, Lord, again, I pray that your, your spirit would continue to be moving in this, through this congregation and, and through us this morning. Uh, Lord, help us to stay awake whether we went to bed at 10 or 6 a.m., Father. And, and I just pray, God, that again, that your spirit would convict and challenge us um, as we read what Peter had to uh, write to other believers. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so like I said, Peter is, reading the, uh, is writing this letter to believers, so the, the message today is mainly directed to those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is, that is who this message is, is my, uh, primarily for. And so this, this idea of Gnosticism was leading many people astray from the, from the true gospel. People started to believe that, that salvation was only attained through this secret hidden knowledge, and Peter is writing to them and saying, that's, that's crap, that's not the gospel, that's false. And he wants to remind them of what the gospel is and what salvation is, and this is what we know salvation to be. Salvation is when Adam and Eve sinned, Evil corrupted everything in creation. So humans, relationships, animals, nature, everything was affected, and we experienced total depravity. So from the very day that we're born, we inherit the sinful nature. We know that when, when someone receives salvation, it is not on merit. You cannot earn your salvation. There's nothing that you do that God says, I'm going to give salvation to him or her because they have earned it. All right, that's what we know salvation to be. And though Jesus' sacrifice, death on a cross, was sufficient for all, salvation only comes to those whom he has elected and called. And when he does call, that beautiful day that you recall when he gave you salvation, you know that the way that we describe it, it's, it's, it's irresistible grace. There's no other response that you can have besides repentance of your sin and a full submission of your life devoted to following him. And then the beautiful thing about that is that you know that once you're saved, you cannot lose that. You cannot lose your salvation. If you could lose it, you would have already. We know that Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So this is the gospel. This is salvation. This is what Peter wants them to know. And he does it with such enthusiasm and passion that as I was reading this, I, I learned that Grammatically, Peter didn't really write this that very well because he was so probably writing it really fast or, or passionately. So if you guys will read with me verses 3 through 5, um, I know Becky already read it, but we'll kind of just break it down going along with it. This is what he has to say. His divine power, Jesus, has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. So the entire summary, summarization of this whole passage lies in these verses. And then I'll break that down for you. For those of you that like to take notes, this is kind of how I, I summarize it into a one-sentence idea, okay? Here it goes. God has given us the resources needed for spiritual growth through his power and his promises. I'll repeat that again. God has given us the resources needed for spiritual growth through his power and promises. 
This spiritual growth we call sanctification. And sanctification, what it pretty much means is the Holy Spirit's work in making you look more like Jesus Christ. It's the process of you growing to look more like the image of Jesus Christ. And so sanctification, where does it happen? Well, it happens from the very, so, so in the timeline of your life, you're born, and then one day you receive salvation. And from that moment when you receive salvation to the moment that you die, that process in between is sanctification. And this is extremely important. You're going to hear me repeat it over and over again, and I'm only repeating it because Peter repeats its, uh, its, its importance. So why is it important? Why isn't it just enough that one day you're saved and you just kind of hang out and chill, right? And why not? You just kind of cruise along. Well, it's important because, I mean, when you think of, think of like a newborn baby, there's going to be great concern if that baby is not growing in size. Am I right? So why is it any different spiritually when we don't see growth in our life? Spiritual growth is of the utmost importance. And again, I'm going to be repeating that over and over again. God has given us the resources needed for spiritual growth through his power and promises. So follow along with me. I'll read through verses 5 through 7 where he kind of makes a list for us. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. There's two things I want to point out before we, we tackle this list. One, again, the fact that he says, make every effort, that means this becomes your top priority. If you leave church here today without this being one of your top priorities, then you are missing it. You are not making every effort to do this, okay? The second one is the word supplement, and supplement means to add or to enhance. So I ironically want to supplement the word supplement with the word furnish, all right? Um, when Bill and I met this week, um, he was helping with my sermon, and, and he gave me some, some of his notes that he taught a while ago, and, and one word that I found that I loved, I love this illustration, is the, is the word furnish, Okay. When I think of the word furnish, um, I kind of grew up in this neighborhood, so I don't know about you, but I think of the furniture store that was right here on Clark and Ridge. And so that store has been open for like 15, 20 plus years. And the funny thing about that store is that the entire time, I think from the day they opened, it's been going out of business. <laughs> There's always a sign there. It's like, going out of business. And when Megan and I got married, she's like, we need to furnish our apartment. Let's go to the store. We got to go quick. And I'm like, Megan, that store has been going out of business for... <laughs> the last 30 years, and, and it, it actually did close down recently. I just saw the other day, it's actually like a gym or something. Um, but anyways, so that's what I think of when I think of the word furnish. But when you furnish an apartment, your house, your apartment, your studio, whatever it may be, you are not changing anything to the structure of the building. The building stays the same. You are merely adding to it in the sense that you are decorating it. You are adding to the aesthetics, the beauty of the building, of what it is. So in the same way as we tackle this list, I want you to think of it in that manner you are not changing the structure of salvation. That has already been done for you, and that is perfect. It doesn't need anything added to it. It doesn't need to change. It's been done by Jesus Christ. That is the structure. We are just merely furnishing our faith with what Peter lists here, okay? So as we move forward, I want you guys to think of it in that manner. So the first one, what does it mean to furnish your faith with virtue? Um, I remember Dr. Howard Hendricks once for Founders Week, he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, when you're studying the Bible, he says, you, you have never studied the Bible until you have applied it. You have not studied the Bible until you have applied it, and faith works the same way. Faith must express itself in action. 
If you don't believe me, read the book of James. It must express itself in action. So therefore, when you are expressing your faith in action, make sure you furnish it with virtue. Because if you are just merely furnishing, if you're just acting out in faith, you can become kind of a, a radicalist, right? You're just kind of coming out and saying things that might be true, but in a very unloving manner, in a way that's very unattractive, and, and it's not the way that we're instructed to do in the Bible. So therefore, while you're practicing your faith being furnished with virtue, the more your knowledge of God deepens. And that's the next one. Furnish your virtue with knowledge. So what does that mean? This is just common sense. The more time that you and I spend together, the more that we're going to get to know one another. So the more time that you spend in your word, the more time that you study it and learn what it's saying, and then you apply it, and then you furnish your faith and action with virtue, you're spending time with God, and that's you're studying God. That's what theology means. Theology literally means the study of God. So while you're doing that, you begin to have kind of a more correct theology. And theology, as we know, is extremely important. Theology pretty much dictates everything about us. It dictates how we live our life, the decisions you make, how you treat other people. It affects everything. And we need to be practicing theology because that's what Peter is asking them to do. They, they're listening to this false theology saying that Jesus Christ will only give you salvation if through this hidden secret knowledge. And Peter's saying, no, that's, again, that's crap. That's, that's not the gospel. I even challenge you to, to use your theology when, when discerning people talking about the gospel. Don't, don't assume that everything I'm saying is true. Line it up with scripture and see if, it, if that's true. Especially, let me tell you this, especially if you entertain TV evangelists. If you watch people on TV, I'm not saying that they're all bad, but don't be fooled by some really big fancy church in Texas and, and a big smile and assume that that's the gospel. Line it up with scripture. See if he ever uses the word sin or Jesus. Furnish your virtue with knowledge. The next one. What comes with knowledge of God as you begin to know him, you begin to know more about yourself. And this is really, really important, you guys. This, uh, I mean, you are fearfully, wonderfully made, right? You've been made, you were created by God before you were in the womb, before your parents were even born. And so therefore, who knows you better than Jesus? Who knows you better than God? So as you get to know God more, you get to know more about yourself. And what you're going to learn mainly about yourself is this. You and I are sinners, you say, Derek, I already knew I'm a sinner. No, I mean, seriously, you and I, we are sinners. We are sinful, disgusting people. Paul says in 1 Timothy that all sin, out of all sinners, he says, I am the worst. I am chief, which is funny because anyone that really knows the life of the apostle Paul, you're kind of like, I kind of hope to be like him. Like, I strive to be like someone like Paul. And he, here he goes saying, out of all sinners, that, that I'm the worst. And what I think he means by this is we know that God is perfect. And the closer that you get to God, the more perfect you see him, and then the more your imperfections kind of are highlighted. And you're just like, wow, I'm a sinner. So Peter here is telling us that as we get to know ourselves, as we get to know our, our, the deep secrets of our hearts and, and our sinful desire and our, and our sin, he tells us, furnish our knowledge with self-control. And you guys, this is important. Furnish your knowledge with self-control. The Holy Spirit begins to reveal the hidden heart issues of, of our actions and our sins. 
because there are deeper heart issues for, for, for the things that we do. The Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you the heart issue for you belong, for looking for belonging and identity in relationships. He reveals to you the heart issue of why you're obsessed with perfection and your image that you, you can also impose that on other people, on your kids, on your, your spouse, on your friends, your family. He reveals to you the reason why you put on a mask. And what I mean by that is like you're kind of fake with people. You put on this mask before you leave the house because you're going to church, because you're going to school, to work. And he reveals to you your heart issue of why you turn to lust and pornography. Self-control is so important in this process. I remember a conversation I had with, with uh, somebody at Phantom Ranch, and that's the summer camp that we take at a... Uh, um, every year we take our high schoolers. Um, one person w- was sharing with, with the group that um, they were struggling with something. They had kind of this, this addiction. And, um, and they were frustrated because they couldn't shake it. They couldn't stop it. And then they wanted to do everything in their power. They felt like they've done everything that they possibly could. And he says he's prayed, he's fasted, he had software uh, programmed, he has accountability partners and all these things. And, and I know that he's a believer, I know he's a follower of Christ, but he just was so mad at himself and frustrated that he couldn't stop. And then these were his actual words. He said, I feel like there's something missing. I feel like there's some type of secret formula that other people know. I'm not making this up. He really said this. He's like, and I just haven't figured it out. And and I can relate with him. I've, I've been there before, and This breaks my heart because you know what the heart issue of that is? Again, we have forgotten the promise and the power of God. You have to, I I hear this so often, especially with youth, that they don't fully understand the promises that God gives. You don't have to, to pray for Jesus to be with you because he's already promised to never leave you. I hear that so often that we pray, Jesus be with, he, he promised that to you already. You don't have to pray for the Holy Spirit because you already have him. He lives in you. Why do, we, why do we do things like this? You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to accept Jesus into your life multiple times. This is one that I hear often too. I've accepted Jesus into my life like five, six times. Why? That one time was enough. You have salvation. Kind of this understanding that I messed up in between this one and, and now, and so I kind of feel like I have to accept Jesus again because maybe I didn't mean it the last time. No, you are in Christ. Know that promise that you have salvation. You cannot lose that. You do not have to be enslaved to sin because when Christ conquered death and sin, through him we are more than conquerors. You do not have to be enslaved to sin anymore. Romans 6 tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness. So I plead with you, brothers and sisters, furnish your your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and then self-control with steadfastness with perseverance. And how do you do that? How do you do that with perseverance? Well, the next one is furnish your steadfastness with godliness. Can I tell you, I learned this the hard way. Your intentions are not enough. Your good intentions, your your wanting to do good and right is not enough. Being Christ-like is necessary. It is absolutely necessary, and it's super important. You have to declare war on your sin. 
If we know this to be a, a spiritual warfare, a battle, then that's exactly what it is. It is a war. So declare war on your sin. You have to learn how to hate your sin. So many times we become so close and buddy-buddy with it that we're like, I don't want to part with it because you love it. It is that serious. Kill your sin. In a war, no one lives so lazy and nonchalant. If you hear a twig breaking in a war, you are ready to pounce and attack anything that kind of moves in your way. And so it's the same way with sin. You have to kill it. I heard a pastor say once that this was kind of like following Jesus Christ, this whole walk is, it's not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. A battleship was not created for comfort. You're not going to find a spa, a hot tub on a battleship. You're not going to find a king-sized bed. A battleship was meant for war. And so I, I genuinely apologize if, if you were promised kind of an easy life in following Jesus Christ. He tells us to pick up our cross and follow him. That is what he tells us to do. Furnish your perseverance with godliness. So the next one, Peter encourages us to seek out fellowship with others. Furnish your godliness with brotherly affection. This is what we talked about at our last family meeting. For those of you that remember, this goes deeper than just getting together with other believers and playing games, which we will do Saturday, BYOBG, from 2 to 5 in the fellowship hall. We will play games, and it will be fun. But this goes deeper than that, okay? This goes way deeper. What does this mean? This means community. This means the body of Christ, all right, the fellowship of believers. Yes, Jesus Christ died for you, but there's a bigger picture. He died for the body of Christ. I mean, the the church is his bride. Are you telling me that that's not important to him or to us? I hear often, oh, I don't want to go to church. It's full of hypocrites and sinners. And and I say to you, yeah, you're right. And you'll fit right in. (laughs) I, I mean that. I mean, the church is full of the church is full of broken, sinful people that are seeking forgiveness. No one here is perfect. No one here sought after God. We all have the same story of salvation. None of us deserved it, and by God's grace and mercy, He gave it to us. And I know many times the church doesn't seem that way, but again, we are constantly going through this process of sanctification. This brotherly affection. This kind of goes on to my next point. And Peter's next point, he says, finally, furnish your brotherly affection with love. Unconditional love, unreserved, unrestricting, sacrificial love. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, you normally hear that passage about love. You hear that where? At weddings, right? And that's kind of where, like, it's famous. Um, But the funny thing about that passage is that it wasn't written with the intention of love as romantic love. That passage was written about this, furnishing your brotherly affection with love. That's kind of what it was written by. So I challenge you, at some point, reread that passage with this understanding. It's going to change how you read it. It's going to be like you read it for the first time, knowing that it's not about a romantic love. But in there it says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or evil. So what that means is sometimes, in order to love your brother or sister in Christ, you have to have those hard conversations. And can I tell you, from personal experience, from someone having many of those conversations, someone coming up to me and and telling me these things, they don't feel good. It's not enjoyable for me or the person coming up to me, but I am extremely grateful that I've had those conversations. It is such a growing process for me and then for the one that you are going and addressing. That, That love has to be hard sometimes, you guys. We are called to love in that manner. We're called to, sometimes we pastor. That Though that may not be your title, 
we're all pastoring some way. It might be children. It might be youth. It might be the elderly. It might be your own families. I hope it's your families that you're pastoring. But we are called to love, John 13, a new commandment. The Christian life was not meant to be alone. We need the church. We need to be loving. Follow along with me. That, that's, that's the list that he has here. Follow along with me as I read verses 8 through 9. For if, the, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So when you're hearing this, you fall into two categories. There's only two responses that you may have after this. One, you decide to work to develop these qualities in increasing measure. And in doing so, you're going to experience a deepened relationship with Jesus Christ and a fruitful one. The second response that you may have is ignoring it completely, is being blind to it. You are refusing to open your eyes to the, to the glory and majesty of it is that Jesus is calling and electing you. You are just refusing to hear it, to grow. And can I tell you, whichever response that you fall into, even if you're kind of in this like spiritual like, hmm, like, no, I'm not going to grow. I don't want to do this. Can I tell you, God still loves you, and he loves you way too much to leave you where you are at this moment. He will continually be pursuing you over, over, over again, even if you constantly are having this, I don't want to grow. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this secret knowledge that I don't have. There's no secret. This is the gospel. God has given you everything that you need for spiritual growth, and it is through his power and his promises. Read with me verses 10 through 11, and with these I'll close. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that mean to never fall? Well, let me tell you about a story from when I was in a youth group here uh, years ago. We had this leader. Uh, his name's Esteban. And Esteban and I, I'm not looking in that direction on purpose. Esteban and I, we had a unique relationship. Esteban, uh, I had to teach him about hip-hop and about rap. Um, he wanted to learn how to play basketball. So, I, you know, I taught him kind of like the basics and everything. And, and so, but he was a good youth leader. It was just a unique relationship that we had there. Um, but anyways, there's one memory of him that I, that I have that I will never forget. We, uh, we kind of took this guy's trip to, uh, to the dunes, to Indiana dunes. And so we went and, and we parked our, our super old vans, the old ones that we had. We parked them in the lot and we kind of started walking. And at some point we got really far, but then we started playing in the sand, right? We're guys, we're pushing each other down the dunes, we're racing up and everything. And then we got super exhausted. And we said, okay, let's head back because we have a long walk back. So we start walking over to the paved road, right? You're kind of walking up to this paved road. And then as we all got it, we planted our feet. And as we did it, simultaneously, we were all like, <sighs> and then right next to me was a stab on, and I heard him whisper this under his breath. He said, just like the gospel. And this was amazing to me, because what this told me was that, in my mind, I'm thinking of this whole scenario, and I'm saying, we have a long trip back. We have a long walk back. But now that task of walking back was now a lot more doable, being on this paved road instead of walking up and down dunes and, and slipping sand. What does never falling mean in this context? This is what it means. You will mess up. You will fail. 
But never falling means that your salvation, like that paved road, is unmoving. It has pa- Jesus Christ has paved that way for you. And when you finally finish that race, when you finally reach your destination, you'll be welcomed enthusiastically into the kingdom of God. And how, are you, how is that possible? It is only through God's great promises and his power. My prayer for this New Year's for you guys again is that you, you hear this and you're just hopefully encouraged as I was. You have every single resource needed for spiritual growth. There is no secret formula. There is no hidden knowledge that will, will help you get over this. It may not be what you wanted to hear, but Jesus Christ is the answer. So I want to tell you, for those of you that are believers, be encouraged. I plead with you, leave today making this your top priority. Make every effort to do this. And for those of you that don't know Jesus Christ, you may be feeling that calling. I have no way to describe it into words, but you just know it when you feel it. You may be feeling that calling, and I, I ask you that if you feel that, grab somebody who knows the gospel. Talk to one of the elders, the pastors here. But the thing is, you don't even need them. You can come straight to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for salvation. Can you guys pray with me? Lord, I'm thankful for the fact that none of this depends on us. You have paved that way for us, Lord. You have given us salvation, and it's perfect. It's the structure that we live our life off of, Lord. And so I pray, God, that that you would give us the strength, because it can only come from you, this strength, this wanting to do your will. I pray, Father, that you would help us to learn what it means to, to put in the effort, the work, to furnish our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with, with godliness, godliness with brotherly love and brotherly love with, with uh, brotherly affection with love. It is only through your strength, Father, that we are able to do these things. So, Father, again, I pray that you would remind us of your promises. We don't have to pray for you to give us the strength. We don't have to pray for your Holy Spirit to, to be there in our lives, Lord. You have already given that to us. We stand firm on your promises, Father. Help us not to leave today just forgetting everything that we learned. I pray, God, that you would, your spirit would be challenging us and pursuing us to live a life of sanctification and spiritual growth. And it is only through your great promises and your power and in your son's perfect and holy name that we're able to do these things. Amen.